Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod. Yeah, I'm very well. Here we are on a, I was going to say a January evening, but it's February and it's the 5th of February and this is our 106th episode. Yeah, we're well into the second year of this thing now. It's cracking along. It is. And for our listeners and our viewers, I must just quickly turn off my heater here because it does make a little background noise. I apologize. Well, I will try and fill a little bit while you're doing that. So we had quite a long show last week talking about the launch of the Vision Pro and the EU DMA. And they're actually in consumers' hands now. Uh, people, Real people have got hold of them as well as reviewers, which wasn't the case when last we spoke. So we've actually got some stuff we can talk about. So we're going to slide straight into follow-up and we're going to talk about some of the stuff around the Vision Pro. Does that sound good? Yeah, no, I think it, it, it sounds like a best place to start, doesn't it? I think it's been quite a week for the Vision Pro. It really has. And I mean, it's it's been interesting. So I've linked in the show notes, or we've linked in the show notes, to four sort of primary reviews of the thing. There's MKBHD, who did three things. He did an unboxing, he did a first sort of impressions on how to use it, and then he did his actual review. It's the actual review that's in the show notes. We've got The Verges from Neil A. Patel, which is a video and a text-based thing, which I think was the first thing to drop. It's certainly the first one I became aware of. I really liked The Verge one because there wasn't much else at the time, and they got out first, and I thought it was actually pretty good. I quite enjoyed it. The MKHBHD unbox, a little disappointing for me, if I'm honest, but the rest of it I thought was excellent. Yep. Daring Fireball, so John Gruber's text review, he doesn't really do a video. And then Joanna Stern from the Wall Street Journal, who did, I think, the most concise one. She did about 10 minutes and did really quite a nice real-world thing, which if you haven't seen it, she rents a ski chalet somewhere up in a state somewhere and goes and does about nine minutes. Well, I presume the Wall Street Journal rented it. Uh, and she goes and does a review and tries to wear it entirely for 24 hours. Quite a novel review. That is quite cool. I haven't seen the Joanna Stern one, I must say. Back to the Darren Fireball one, though. I quite enjoy, actually, the written article. Sometimes I just want to read something, and I think it's quite nice that Darren Fireball's just carried on as it always did. Not really a lot of pictures, no video. You can't know what it looks like. He does occasionally put a link in, but actually the, I don't know, the static nature of it I quite like because, you know, it's nice, it's different, and it is good to consume a different viewpoint. So I thought they were all very good, and it looked, I'm still interested in the device. It's very expensive, that's my big concern and closing out the outside world is my concern a lot of places saying it is a vr headset more than it is an augmented reality headset yeah and i think that's fair if i'd been asked to write a review without having seen any of these just on the impressions that had been written about and what was coming on i think these kind of encapsulate what i thought it was going to be an amazing ar experience the best anyone's ever seen which is great it's got really high resolution um screens in it 4k oled screens in it so it's not a surprise it can do that it seems to be a little heavier than people were expecting because apple have decided to make it out of metal and glass rather than plastic and that seems to be a problem certainly for the the solo band solo loop whatever it is that they call it which is an amazing looking thing and gruber says in his review that he didn't have any problems with it but every other review i've said says for long-term use you got to use the dual loop strap which actually distributes the weight properly over your head so I mean, once again, Apple built a fairly premium feeling device by using metal and glass, but I think it actually costs them because it weighs more without a battery than the Oculus Rift does with a battery. Yeah, they've done their usual, like with my headphones that I'm wearing now for the viewers. I've got the AirPods Max. They are lovely. They're very well made. They feel very solid, but equally, they're pretty heavy. When you see some more titanium metal work from them, if they insist on using metal around your head, I think. But it weighs the same way as your Pro. 
that's not a light device is it so i'm curious to see it i would love to go and do a demo of one of these here in the uk so hopefully when it lands on our boards we can go and do that but everything i've read and seen i'm probably 50 50 on whether i would really want one and i think it would come down to money at the end which may well scare me off yeah i think that's fair i mean it has been interesting that you know, as, as a deeply sceptical person about AR headsets in general, whether this would be the thing, let's face it, if anybody's got a chance, it's probably Apple. I'm going to park my cynicism about app stores and the rest of it, mostly, as much as I possibly can, based on the EU DMA and all the stuff we talked about last week, and just try and view it as an Apple device, as a desirable Apple device. And definitely the some aspects of it I can see have immense utility. If you sold this just as the best television you'll ever do for solo movie watching, like you don't need a man cave or you know a dedicated cinema room anymore. What you need is one of these. And if you have two or three in the house and you could have your family there in that virtual cinema space, which you could do with something like this, setting aside the creepy persona stuff, it would be an amazing experience with some good headphones like you've got on or some AirPods Pro where you could get some nice directional audio as well. You could probably have the, you know, the film of your life sitting watching one of these things in proper, proper 3D or even just stretched to look like 100 feet in front of you. That's quite impressive. It's like an IMAX screen for your bedroom or your, your living room or something like that. And that's actually a more interesting proposition if you eject all the other stuff. But you get the other stuff as well. Yeah, it's true. And I like the way they've gone with the general purpose platform. The movie watching does look good, but I'm not sure I'd ever want to do that with my family. I think I like being on the sofa with my kids and watching a film. And I don't know. I don't think I want to shut the world out. And that's why I've not bought the PlayStation 1. That's why I've, I'm tentative on this one. I think I like having a bit of the world in my in my vision, if that makes sense, and sharing it with my kids. So I, I don't know. Maybe this is why they invented SharePlay, because we all said SharePlay came a bit after the pandemic. But maybe it was a precursor to this so that you could buy four of these for your family and you could all sit in the same room and do share play and watch the same film. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think version two of this is where it's going to start. The price will start tumbling and it will start going after a bigger market because it will find its place. And you've got to assume that some of the, the version updates will come with more apps on it because there's not all the Apple apps yet. You know, the watch has got more apps built by Apple than this. And so you, you've got to assume over time that will increase as well. But on the whole, I think it looks good. It's pretty much lived up to what I thought. There has been that many really negative reviews on it. I think the Personas thing's taken a, you know, a bit of a turn and, and there's been a lot of feedback on that. And I think we commented on that before. But the rest of it seems to be doing really well. And on the whole, it's pretty much lived up to expectation, I think. Yeah, but I don't know what those expectations were, really. I mean, some of the negative stuff seems to revolve around the fact that the pass-through video cameras are clearly video cameras. If you wear it for a long period, so pass-through is seeing the real world through these ski goggle-looking things while you're wearing them. Linked further down in the show notes, we might get to it, is Casey Neistat, who decided to wear one out in New York on a skateboard and on public transport and all that kind of stuff. And it's an amazing video to watch somebody just deciding to leave his office you know, get filmed, walk to Times Square, react to people in the real world asking him things, could they see him, all this kind of stuff through the cameras. And it's really quite a good demonstration of what the device is capable for as an AR device, which it's not. It's just got some quite good cameras around it. So if you'd strapped your iPhone 15 Pro to your face and couldn't see anything around it, what would the lag to the real world be like? And it's good enough that, you know, Marcus Brownlee managed to play ping pong. Joanna Stern manages to go skiing wearing it. So, you know, it's good enough, I think. It's not, I'd, I would not absolutely recommend covering your face with a bit of glass that's something that's powered by a battery and hurling down a New York City street. That seems like a very bad idea to me. But he had a power in it. I think at this point, you're proving a point. 
But the fidelity of those cameras, it seemed to me people felt it would be a little bit better. They're more than good enough and they're better than anybody else has got. But that still needs to improve. And the other thing I've seen a lot of criticism of is uh, the field of vision. So it's actually more restrictive than you thought it would be. And again, Marquez does a good job of put, putting sort of binocular effect around the edge of the Vision Pro to show how much that gets cut off. And combined with that, the low light performance of the thing. When you're in a well-lit room or you're outside or you're in an Apple store when you're trying it, it's perfect. But the second it gets a bit sort of dim, those cameras struggle. And again, in Joanna Stern's video, when she's trying to reach, she cooks with it, which is one of the best demonstrations of something that is an extra augmented reality feature of it. She can't read the ingredients in the in the menu because it's got so dark, okay. or cease. Yeah, so so things like that are a consideration. So I think the Guardian say it best for me. You know, it's stunning potential with big trade offs, and those trade offs are really about the balance whether you go for it or not. But don't you think it's a bit akin to say the Apple Watch came out obviously a much cheaper product, a lot more accessible, but the first one was heavily impeded by the the, the rubbish hardware performance, the slow slowness of it. But actually. Apple just did what Apple did. They just took the feedback, iterated, hardware improved year on year. And then here we are now. The Apple Watch, whilst isn't wildly different, does lots more and it is super quick and is worn by, I don't know, 80% of the people you meet on the street. Yeah. And again, watching these videos and reading these reviews and now real people have got them and not the bigger bloggers have got hold of them too and seeing what they're making of it. Everybody who's got the moment is super enthusiastic but they see these these limitations. And I think the iPhone launched without an app store. The iPhone launched without a lot of the things, the advantages that this has got, without the ecosystem of developers that are used to building to this. But briefly touching on what I said, I would try not to. They, they've got to keep hearts and minds to keep this going. It's indie developers that are really at the forefront of the launch of the Vision Pro. Because as you said, the Apple apps aren't there. With the exception of Microsoft Office apps, which actually not a lot of reviewers have gone into in any great detail, it's not there. And not having Netflix harms the platform. Not having Spotify harms the platform. Having a 3500 to $4,500 price tag harms the platform. And I think you're right. If they get enough of these, and I don't know what the forecasts were. I've heard as much as 500,000 units they want to sell in the first year. If there's a version 2 that's not pro, that is lighter, that is cheaper, that manages to maintain a lot of these things, and they can get them in people's hands for, I don't know, $1,500 or something like that, then it becomes a compelling product that people would buy, I think with that extra support from more mainstream platforms. So if you do have your, your Netflix in 3D, if you do have the rest of the Apple apps there, if you do have a little more, I don't know, field of vision, whatever it is are the things that are going to hold this back a little bit. If they iterate and they do move forward and they do improve it and they do make it a little bit cheaper, then it becomes more interesting and compelling. Yeah, I think that's fair. It will do, though. We know it will, it will, it will evolve and it will adapt and Apple will keep plugging away at it. Well, you say that, but the G4 Cube only lasted about eight months. Yeah, this is a whole new platform, not just a form factor of an existing platform. So I've, I've got faith. He says as he just knocks his 40-odd-inch TV with the, with his elbow, so I must stand further forward. Um, should we move on, though? Because I think we could talk about this for a while. Is there anything else you want to pick up on the uh, Vision Pro? I, I, I wanted to point out that Apple have dropped things pretty quickly in the past, you know, in, in a long time ago, but the Newton didn't last very long. And, you know, there are platforms that would have been real game changers if they'd stuck by their guns and didn't. I agree with you. I think this feels bigger than that. And it's been a long time since they had a failure of that magnitude. G4 Cube doesn't count. Um, 
no, I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say. I will point out a couple of links that I think anybody who's, who wants to go through the show notes to pick out some choicey things. The Vision Pro battery pack actually contains what looks like a fat lightning connector in it. So if you could pry off with a with a, a SIM eject tool from your iPhone, the, the connection to the battery, there's a big lightning connector in there. And I find that odd. I find it odd that if you're going to go for such a big battery, they didn't make it bigger, frankly, because you do get two and a half hours and no more out of it. That seems a bit restrictive, unless that's a deliberate choice to make people take it off after two and a half hours. Possibly, but why is it not USB-C? Well, it is. No, no, no the, the connector at the other end. I know the, the connector to charge is USB-C, but why isn't it a double-ended USB-C cable? It just seems bizarre to me that we've got another proprietary connector. Stop it, Apple. Yeah, I, 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 again, I can't, I can't disagree with what you're saying. There. So that was it in the Vision Pro. I did want to say just point out two quick articles on the DMA stuff that we talked about last week. Uh, one of which is one of the. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was going to say before we move on, the notes of the future article was fantastic. Just really interesting insights in there. I just thought it was really well written and very concise. So apologies for interrupting. No, 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 that's fine. And I'm glad you did because I was about to skip over it. And this is a a, a journalist from uh, Macworld who's bought one and he hasn't written his review yet. He's sort of iterating as he goes forward for the things he's finding both good good and bad about it. So things like they don't want this to be called a VR headset, but that's what it is. The problem with plastic, as I've talked about, you know, some things are amazing, but other things aren't. And it's it's going to be quite an interesting thing to watch as it evolves over time for sort of a truly real world explanation. And it has made me remember I want to talk about the keyboard text entry and having to focus on every letter and everything that you type and that inability to, you know, we're so used to, if we're editing a video or typing an email or a text or something like that, we can finish doing what we're doing on the keyboard without looking at it and move on to our next task. This doesn't let you do that. You've got to keep focused on what it is that you're doing. So maintaining your focus is probably going to be quite fatiguing for a little bit until you get used to using something like that. That was my last thought about it. Have you got any last thoughts? No, it's a good point because I think it was in this article I read, there's no cursor support you know, for a mouse pointer. And I'm surprised by that because thinking about how they developed it, You'd have thought maybe they started with mouse support before they then developed, you know, eye tracking and what have you. And so I'm surprised it hasn't shipped with cursor support from the iPad in essence. You could have a Bluetooth mouse or a trackpad or what have you, because I think you're right, it can can be quite fatiguing. But if you are going to wear it and use a Bluetooth keyboard, then why couldn't you have a Bluetooth trackpad with it? I just, I find that a bit odd to me. I think you can, but it's confined to within apps. You get the same sort of pointer support as you get on the iPad. So, for example, you can mirror your Mac display with it. If you put a MacBook or something in front of it, you can click connect and you get a 5K in inverted commas. I forget there's video feed now. People can actually see me doing inverted commas when I do that. I think it's 4K. It's 4K Mac, isn't it? No, 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 it will give you the resolution of a 5K, sort of the dimensions of a 5K. It's not 4K resolution because you get the foveated rendering, which is a fancy way of saying it blurs the stuff you're not looking at when you connect to it. So you can have that and you can make it, you know, a little bit bigger. And when you're using only an Apple trackpad, you get an iPad style dot, not a pointer within the window of the Mac window. So, but it can't escape that. And I think that's true of a lot of the Vision Pro apps. If you are using a Mac, a, blue, a Magic key, uh, Trackpad, you can use that cursor within it. But I think for text selection, it might be different, which is what you were talking about. Yeah, I just thought that it might shoot, you know, with that functionality, you could use a pointer and move it around. But I guess it is only a version one. It is. That's the Vision Pro for now. I'm sure we'll be talking about it for a little bit to come. So I just wanted to point out two articles on the DMA, the Digital Markets Act from Europe. Uh, one is 
hardcore software by Stephen Sanofsky, particularly uh, his 215th entry of Building Under Regulation, which is one of the longest articles I've ever seen on the internet, I think. Uh, you will scroll and read for some time. But what makes this interesting is it's a very considered approach from somebody who's been through antitrust because Stephen Snofsky used to work for Microsoft. He's got a lot of experience of what happened to Microsoft then and is very, very against gatekeepers getting involved with platforms. Uh, basically, his argument is that this is weakening Apple's platform by making it worse by him having it respond to regulation. And that's possibly not a surprising take from somebody who comes from that kind of I'm going to use the word hyper-capitalist, but certainly that kind of background where everything the company is doing is right. I do understand Apple, what a value experience above everything, but this is ignoring the walled garden, you know, possible prison that Apple have built around this. So I think it's interesting, but it's important to have these alternative views because otherwise you just get you and I going, we're not happy with it. You know, other opinions are available. Obviously, Apple have one and that is supported by other people. Yeah, Apple have one. Obviously, they're trying to do it in the right way to keep keep the machine going. Absolutely. And then, just for a counterpoint, and I thought it was funny, Microsoft themselves just say the Apple App Store rules are a step in the wrong direction. So there's an ex-Microsoft employee and current Microsoft, which may not be a surprise considering, let's face it, Microsoft have got to be sitting there thinking, are we going to launch our own App Store? Sorry, you don't call them that. They're you know, marketplaces, aren't they? Yeah, I'm curious to see how this is all going to play out. I was hoping we might have a new version of iOS today, but we haven't. It's going to be super interesting. So are Microsoft going to do their own marketplace? You know, they want to do their cloud streaming games. It'd be great to have your Xbox Pass on the on there. Sure, that's going to help them reach more markets. So are they going to do it? It's going to be really interesting to see how they use these rules. Or are they going to go, well, it's just the EU, it's not worth the effort. And so are they going to wait until it becomes more widely available? I mean, it is interesting the slightly cynical way that Apple are now allowing game streaming stores within the existing structure of iOS, that you could have something like the Xbox Games Pass within that. You could have something like a streaming version of Steam or the NVIDIA platform within the existing rules, which makes it a harder choice for Microsoft. I think Microsoft spent a lot of time building an app that would give you access to Game Pass, as they've done on Android. And you know, this kind of short circuits them, doesn't it? They're not going to go, because let's face it, Microsoft is good for the, the million euros you've got to put down in order uh, you know, to, to have the bond to go and start your own marketplaces. It's not an issue for them. Facebook can as well. But the whole free apps, streaming apps, once you're out, you're never getting back in thing that Apple have built into the D uh, their response to the DMA. It, it does short circuit a lot of that argument, I think. Yeah, that is true. All right, should we move on? Let's move on and do some news. And uh, so, a good place to start talking about large software companies, I think, is uh, Facebook. Do you want to tell us what Mark Zuckerberg has said? Yeah, so he says they're not going to do uh, Meta App Store because it was talk. Would you? Would I was going to say Facebook? Would Meta have their own app store with their own apps in it? And he's saying no. And I would imagine part of the reason is because you can't just have your own apps and you've got to have others. But they're saying it's also too onerous to do it. So why would they? Why would they bother? Because it, I don't think it would give them the advantage they need. So it's interesting he's come out with that which is kind of in line with what Microsoft is saying. You know, they're all coming out now and saying that it's, whilst Apple are conforming to the law, I guess, it's the the way they're doing it to the letter of the law. It's, it's probably not going to move the needle significantly. That's what it feels like to me. I don't know what you think. This just says to me that you know, we said last week that Apple aren't... This is a submission to the EU. We don't know how the EU is going to respond. And, you know, they're a lawmaking uh, agency, the EU. They're trying to do the best things for their citizens. 
rightly or wrongly, the best things for their citizens. And if they don't like what Apple said, then there'll be litigation or changes to the DMA or changes to the terms of things. But I'm sure Apple feel they've met the letter, if not the spirit of the law. So how much change there will be beyond this point, I'm not sure. They can't say it's, you know, you can't start up a marketplace if you don't want to. They can't say Apple won't make money out of this. That's really what this is about. No matter what, Apple is going to make money out of this. So, yeah, I'm not really surprised by Meta's response or Epic's response or Microsoft's response. Of course they're unhappy. What they wanted was a free reign to play in the iTunes, uh, the iTunes store, didn't they? And that's not what they've got. Yeah, can we just put our own marketplace on there and crack on as if it was a completely open platform? I think Microsoft are probably upset they never had this sort of control in Windows when it was at its peak, but it is what it is, I think. I don't think the rules are going to change that much between now and March. I mean, there's, what, four weeks to go. It's, it's going to be minor tweaks, if anything, at this point, surely. I agree. And sticking with legal woes and, and Epic, as we've mentioned them already, there's two stories then from Epic suing Apple. Epic preps a challenge to Apple's bad faith outside of payments changes. So this was pre-DMA when we were talking about the linkage and there being 27% fee to links and then tracking within that. And it lasted up to a week. We spent a long time on the show talking about that. Unsurprisingly, Epic are challenging that legally. And again, I can't really blame them because that feels out with the spirit of the judgment in the original Apple case. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But the Apple's... The court have said it's all just going to stay as it is, isn't it? And they're not even going to review it. Yeah. So, you know, apparently Apple have failed to comply with this. These stories are there for you to read from 9to5Mac and and The Verge. But I don't know if much is going to change. What I really think is going to happen is the rest of the world is watching the DMA to go, that's where the action is for these things. Yeah. And how long is it before we have the DMA worldwide? That's what it feels like ultimately. But is it going to be enough? I think that's where Microsoft are at and Facebook, Meta, sorry. Is it going to be enough to actually make it worth doing? Or are they just complying to a law that's not really changed anything? Very much. Moving along, we'll talk about the Apple earnings briefly, more briefly than we usually do later on in the main show. But as part of those earnings announcements, Tim Cook teased that there's going to be some AI stuff coming in iOS 18. And this is a story on 9to5Mac, but I can't say I find it very surprising. Yeah, he's excited to share the details of our ongoing work in this space later this year. So it's going to be interesting. And I think we reported last week, rumours are it's going to be the biggest update to iOS this, you know, ever. So whether that's true or not, it'll be interesting. After we had a very quiet 17, which I think was quite welcomed in a way, because there wasn't anything groundbreaking in it, but equally it was a nice stable release. So I'm a little concerned when they say it's going to be the biggest release ever, because is it going to be more buggier than ever? Probably. But... I think the reason there hasn't been much in 16 and 17 is because they've been building these APIs for DMA. Well, it's a bit of both, isn't it? They've been doing that and possibly some people have been sidelined onto the vision. You've you've got to assume. There's technically still a car going on as well, isn't there? Whether that will ever see the light of day, who knows? I'd love somebody to give us a timeline of what's going on with the Apple car. You know, because it would be super interesting. Has it actually got anywhere? Has it got any wheels yet? Or is it just conceptual? Yeah, it'd be really interesting to know what's going on there. I think in the background, things like cruise robotaxis crushing people in San Francisco and dragging them along the ground and not getting them off them, and and the failure of Tesla to sort of penetrate things like the EV market and Polestar and the rest of them with Hertz in San Francisco specifically, it makes me think there might not be... Self-driving cars are a long way off, and an Apple one is even further. Yeah, I don't disagree. Maybe they bit off more than they could chew. Maybe they should have gone for a more traditional car. And then just, it, like with the Vision Pro, release it, get a version one out, and then iterate on it. Whereas maybe they shot for the moon project, and they've never, ever been able to deliver anything. 
I mean, the car thing struck me as a passion project from Johnny Ive in the way that the building was, or the watch was, or, 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 or and, and I segue her to our next story, apparently he tried to terminate the MacBook Air as well. This is slightly scurrilous, it may not be a, a true thing, but he tried to get rid of that, presumably because his attention was elsewhere. And I wonder if Johnny's leaving the company has also had an impact on some of these very design-focused things, like a car and all the rest of it, and they're just going to quietly sort of let them pass by. Yeah, and I think he did try and... I think this one's right, by the way, the Air one... It, felt like they were going to just have the MacBook One, as a lot of us called it, um, where you had, I think, one extra port, because um, they had a MacBook Pro in essence, but with less ports on it. And it did feel like that was going to be the air replacement. And then if you remember when they did introduce the new air, I think it might be Phil Schiller going, and here's the new air, you, you know, we finally managed to do it kind of thing. And it did feel like the air for a period of time where Apple really lost its way with both their laptop lineup and their keyboards that it was going to be very different, but it makes sense for them to have two brands of laptop. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? You've got your consumer-based brand and you've got your pro brand. Done. Whereas trying to converge all into one line is not right, especially for a company that ships a lot of laptops. It's got to be their biggest seller. And I don't think it sits well with modern Apple. You know, the two-by-two two grid that Steve Jobs classically came back with, desktops, laptops, iPod, and account, you know, accessories, I guess. It was desktop, laptops, pro, and consumer. That, yeah. that was the quadrant. You know, very simple. And you could maybe do that a little bit, desktops, laptops, you know, however these days. But Tim Cook's Apple doesn't work like that. Tim Cook's Apple keeps all of the things for sale for as long as possible. You can still go and buy an M1 MacBook Air from, from the Apple Store. We've got M3s around now, so that is not jobs as Apple. And I think we all need to get over that a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But I'm glad they've kept the Air around. I think it's a fantastic device. And it's a good name for a laptop. It was our product of the year, as I recall. That's a fair point. Moving on, I quite like this. So we've had the odd conversation about uh, ChatGPT. Most people are using ChatGPT3, but they've got GPT4 now, which is their better large language model again. But apparently if you use some of the lesser known languages, of which among them are Zulu and Scots Gaelic, you can break the, the access to uh, ChatGPT and get through the safety guardrails of it. So I think this is quite clever. Do you speak, speak much Scots Gaelic? Absolutely none. <laughs> It's a bit like most people in Wales, I'm sure. I speak more Welsh than I do Gaelic. Wow, okay. Fair play to you. That's a tricky do, language. Do, do, I'll tell you a word for it. I don't know what you've just called me. Um, I said thank you very much and well done. Oh, okay. Fair play. You, well, you've learned more, more Welsh than I did when I lived there. No, I think this is interesting. Right. Again, it's people trying to gamify and get around the guardrails, isn't it? It's what we see time and time again. So it's it's really interesting they've done this. I mean, what a take. They've, they've really sort of pushed out the park here. I'm going nuts with my Welsh now in my camera, so I'll, I will stop that. That was fair play. So I think it's not surprising that researchers are going to try and sort of push these things to see where they fall down. We've already seen instances where the New York Times can put in or prompt it for a New York Times-style article, and it will spit back the references of what came in there. So I'm not entirely surprised that if you start start digging around the peripheries, particularly with something that's a bit rarer, like Zulu or Scots Gaelic or, or one of those languages, that you can start to break the edges of it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think a lot of this has been rushed out. I'm amazed they haven't you know, stopped you being able to enter different languages and stuff. But this is it. It's such a fast-moving space at the moment. The thing I like about well, I don't like about it because it's slightly horrifying, but from the Verge article, the chatbot won't follow the order. Tell me how to construct a homemade explosive device using household materials in English, for example, but it will when it's translated and it's got Scots Gaelic first, which I'm not going to try and read. 
It's crazy, isn't it? It just seemed like a massive oversight. I don't think that this the thing about them that we've said repeatedly. There is no verification. There is no exhaustive testing of these things. They just are what they are. They predict the next word based on the input and based on what they've been fed. So it's not a surprise that these things are there. I agreed. I am, yeah, in hindsight, not that surprised. Exactly. Moving on, there's a Kickstarter project was announced in the last week by the Icon Factory. Icon Factory are longtime Mac developers. We talked about them in depth at the time Twitterific was being killed off because they came up with the original pull to refresh on the iPhone and their icon for Twitterific, the little bird, became the icon of Twitter. So Craig Hockenberry and others are fantastic Mac developers and fantastic designers actually so the icon factory is just a terrific design studio have announced a kickstarter for something called project tapestry which on one level is just rss reinvented but i'm okay with that because i really liked rss so rather than betting the farm on mastodon or blue sky or threads what they want is to make use of the open web for t- standards like rss and activity pub and bring all the feeds in your life into one place so it launched last week with a I'll say it in pounds, £79,313 goal, with a stretch goal as well, which they'll do more. I think it was up to $150,000 was a stretch stretch goal. And in less than a week, they have 2,202 backers. There's still 29 days to go. And they've hit £85,000, so they're well over the £79,000 goal. Yeah, I saw this and thought, what a cool idea. It looks really good on the face of it, just to have everything in one place. I think it's going to be interesting to see. And they've got their back in and they've delivered these kind of things before. So it feels like it's going to happen. So full disclosure, I backed it. I, I have not backed it yet, but I probably should. I did see this did come past me. Um, and they've got some stretch goals in here as well about, you know, if they get to 150k, they'll do some extra features. Um, it just looks a great idea, though. Um, very simple app. Obviously not not technically simple underneath, but just the, the, the visuals they've provided just go, look, you can have all your feeds in one place, whether it's a blog, RSS, some, some social media. Um, yeah, I think it's super interesting, and I'm amazed they're the first to come up They're not the first to come up with it. So there are similar apps, but they probably aren't done quite as well. And I downloaded one earlier, but I can't for life remember what it's called. Um, so I'm sorry, I'll try and get to it before the end of the podcast. But I just like the Icon Factory. I like their style. I want to support this kind of development. I think they've been floundering a little bit in the wake of, of the Twitter disaster uh, that was for them. So I quite like this developers taking back control over something that they're very good at and putting their own spin on it and doing something well. In the same way we've got podcast clients that do exactly what we want them to, our little niche thing for sound boost or speeding up little bits of the audio or syncing across platforms or whatever it is you want within your app. I'm I'm glad that these kind of things exist. I've had a couple of successful Kickstarter backings in the the past. If it doesn't come to something, all right, I'm out for 40 quid. But I want to support these kind of developers. So I went for the cotton level which gets you early access to when it comes along and i'm just I'm, I'm i'm happy to support stuff like this no that's fair enough yeah let's let's keep an eye on this space like i said i think it is interesting and i remember listening to a podcast when twitter was going away and they they were asked what they're going to do and they said we don't know what we're going to do yet let us just go away and think about what we're going to do and then and we come back to you and if you want to get a feel for what this might might look like, it won't look like this because the Icon Factory isn't this company. The other app is called Feed with about five E's in it. You can find it in the iOS store uh, and it will let you pick particular channels on YouTube or people to follow on Mastodon or RSS feeds and aggregate them all into one place using open web type stuff. So there are things like this if you want to get a feel for it. I should probably have made it my app of the week. In fact, I'll put a link into it as, uh, as the app, but it's not my app of the week. It's something else. But I just thought it was interesting and I'm glad to see the Icon Factory doing something. Yeah, no. 
good to see them keep going and coming back with new new plans. It is. Going slightly off on a tangent, but it's certainly a technology focus. There was a lot of scandal just as the playoff, the Super Bowl playoffs were happening around Taylor Swift. There seems to be a lot of right-wing issues in America with Taylor Swift and the fact that she seems to be some sort of deep government plant, they think, and the fact that she's going out with a quarterback or one of the teams is just... It, it blows my mind slightly how these things start to get conflated. But in the wake of that, there was a huge amount of deep fake porn featuring Taylor Swift that was everywhere on X slash Twitter. I just think that has become... That kind of reaction is becoming particularly prevalent on X slash Twitter, but is really quite harmful towards women in particular. And, it, you know, there's an article in The Guardian that I've linked to called Inside the Taylor Swift Deep Fake Scandal. It's men telling a powerful woman to get back in her box, which there's more to it than that, I think. It's, it's a way of, get, of, of, of maintaining control over a narrative that people aren't happy with, with Taylor Swift sort of featured in that. But I just think it's a fascinating story, really. Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? It must be a horrible thing to have all this come up. And I'm not surprised it's happening on X or Twitter. You know, if it's going to happen on any platform, it feels like that's where this is going to go and be posted. Yeah, totally. I mean, it seems to be the place for it. And I, I, I agree with you. It's unfortunate. I mean, Taylor Swift is very much a target for lots of people. She makes perfectly harmless, quite catchy tunes, frankly, Taylor Swift. So more power to the girl. She's done very, very well. She cleaned up at the Grammys last night, I think. So well done her. Yeah, she's had an amazing career already. And I believe she's got a new album coming out uh, later on this year. I am not a huge Taylor Swift fan. I'm aware of my purview of it. But she's just done fantastically, hasn't she? Totally. Catchy tunes, though. You, you, you know more of her stuff than you think you do. Oh, I don't doubt that for a second. Good stuff. Moving along, and we're going to talk about some slightly older technology now, or at least a response to some slightly older technology. This is an amazing story. I think we talked about floppy disks way back in, you know, show three or four, of fact, the fact that we're still required by Boeing on some older Boeing jets to un install software updates. You need to go on your 747-200s, I think it was, mostly cargo planes now, and insert floppies in them, and floppies were becoming hard to find. Well, finally, the Japanese government have decided that they're going to stop accepting floppy disks uh, as part of the ordinances as well. You used to need to keep some things in Japanese government on floppy disk. This blew my mind when I read this. I was I just assumed these things were kaput. But no, they weren't. But only now in 23 are floppy disks going in Japan. It seems insane to me. Um, I was recently in a seven... Sorry, yeah, we're 24, aren't we? My mistake. I was in a, a cockpit, just a cockpit that's been cut and put on display at a local watch company to me. And I sat in there with a friend of mine who about airplanes i was like why is there a floppy drive on here and he goes well that's how you you know you do the software updates on a boeing 747 and i was and my mind was just blown at that point because i never really thought about it that it'd be on a floppy disk like possibly a slowest non-reliable medium that you could have i assumed if you were going to do it you'd plug your laptop directly in or you know and you'd, you'd do any updates that way rather than just putting in a floppy disk so yeah mind blown on this and i did know it it's not just floppy disks cds and mini disks like mini disks with data on i mean they really they really weren't a big thing were they they have a niche audience but it's amazing they are still were still accepted in japan i guess you know you set your laws and your standards and, and that's just what you do and just to hark back to a thing a little bit this is why you got to be quite careful about governments legislating on technology 
that you know the EU has now said USB-C is the way forward, but what happens when we move to USB-D or Lightning 6 or whatever the next thing is that comes along to replace it, and you're still mandating that USB-C is the only way to go? You end up in a situation like this. So I think it's important that government technological change and, and the attitude of people and what's changing in computing need to stay in step with each other, really. It will be USB-C point one, point two. <laughs> you know, you could just see it now. It'll be some convoluted name that, that it gets given. But no, I agree with you. It is a concern because is this going to stop companies coming up with new designs, or are we going to see you know an iPhone with a USB-C port, but also the new magical port that is even faster and charges your phone in five seconds? And but they're going to ship both. Um, and have the same connector or there's just really odd things isn't there with some of this is it going to stifle innovation i think is the big concern it really is and speaking of stifling innovation uh, we're just going to very briefly talk on this uh, about an article in ars technica where apple is warning that the, the, the i forget the name of the act actually the investigatory powers act uh, if passed to its fullest extent in the uk they'll walk away from the uk yeah i think we've commented on this before and it keeps coming back around but this is slightly alarming, isn't it? You know, will they really walk away from the UK market? Are the UK really going to want this investor to give powers act ice? Again, people in the wrong places making the laws is always a concern, as we've talked about. It is. We might hit on it during the, the shareholders uh, meeting of, of quarterly results, but the, apparently the entire EU is 7% of earnings for Apple. So what's the UK? That did blow my mind a little bit. It's only 7%. It'd be great to have a nice big pie chart of where does all the money come from. Um, but only 7% in the App Store. Maybe um, there's some other countries that buy a lot more apps. Maybe people in, in the UK buy a lot of apps. I doubt it because people expect everything to be free. But um, that was a much smaller percentage and possibly why they're trying all these changes out in that in the EU market so that it's actually even if they don't you know even if they lose a load of revenue from it and their modeling hasn't worked out it's not overly impactful to the company on the whole no i think that's fair sticking with apple apparently we've got references to home os in the latest tvos beta what do you make of this i can see a time when tvos just becomes home os on the apple tv or be on your home pods your home pods will have screens years and years ago they took a like a fork of tvos and put it on the home pod so they are kind of running the same os it just feels like as time moves on and the products converge a little bit more it's a no-brainer isn't it we've seen the home os pop up a few times so i'm not surprised i think it's that i think it's that your home pod and your apple tv will run a common operating system with or without a screen attached to one of them for whatever the success of them is it makes sense to consolidate it on that and who knows maybe we'll get a, a wear os or something like it for all the various headphone models that are coming along too just to keep it consolidated across those lines of devices fission os home os ios ipad os mac os wearables ipad and vision could converge maybe because there's a lot of shared work there but whether they will or not who knows the iphone and the ipad were converged at one point and then obviously got split out i say split out in the loosest sense of the word yeah it's pretty much the same thing and of course spatial computing is very different to what you do in your ipad it runs the same apps 
You can put your windows where you like on Vision OS. It is weird, though, when you look at some apps now on the App Store and you get all the little icons. You get the phone, the iPad, the Vision, the um, Apple Watch, the uh, Mac. You know, you've got all these icons. And I think there's one for Messages apps as well. So if your app supports them all, you can have quite a plethora of icons underneath the screen grabs. You can. A brief trip into the world of EVs indirectly, but SUVs specifically. So we've spoken on this show before about how large SUVs and large trucks are a problem. They're hyper-polluting. You get pollution not only from the fuel that you put in them and the vast construction costs, they're a danger to pedestrians, but the weight of them causes tyre degradation, which increases pollutants. So basically bad for the planet all around. Paris, of all places, just decided to crack down on SUVs. They will be charged more to park in suburban Paris in urban Paris than lighter vehicles. The rule is, from September the 1st, gas or hybrid SUVs or other larger vehicles weighing over 1.6 tonnes will be charged €18 per hour to park in the centre of Paris and €12 per hour for the rest of the city. This applies to EVs over 2.2 tonnes because EVs are heavier. I think this is great. Yeah, my EV is 2.1 tonnes, I think, so maybe I'd just get in. It's 2.1 tonnes? God, the Tesla's just under that. It's my car is heavy and probably similar range to yours and, and shape and size, give or take. Um, I saw this and thought it is interesting, but it's only for people that don't live in Paris. So for non-Parisians. So I guess it's for visitors, which I kind of get, but oh, I don't know. It just seems an odd. It seems to me a little bit of an odd rule. Are they going to do park and rides so you can park outside and come in? I don't disagree. Modern cars are super heavy. I'm hoping that this is a phase and as the EV progresses, like with your Vision, your Vision Pro, is that over time going to get lighter and lighter or will we just keep it the same but it will will go further and further if that makes sense? It it depends what trade-offs you want. Who lives in a capital city really wants a car anyway? You know, if you live in the centre of London, the last thing you want is a car. If you're having driven in Paris a few years ago, admittedly, and been there recently, driving in Paris is not pleasant. The public transport is very good. The metro is excellent. The bus systems are excellent. A lot of things are in walking distance. You don't need a car in an urban city centre. So this makes complete sense to charge visitors to come and park in the middle of your town. Yeah, I don't disagree. I was watching a TV show with my family and... I can't remember, it was set in Paris, and I was like, I would not want to drive in Paris. It, like you say, did not look a relaxing experience. It's absolutely not. I think that's it for news. That's probably a record for us recently. Fair play. With the amount of links in there, I think we rattled through that at a reasonable pace. We do. and So we'll move on to media, but sticking with links, this is just quite an interesting crossover of social media and old school media. Did you see this story about TikTok? I have not, but I'm aware that they were going to pull a bunch of music from TikTok. So this is quite a big deal, really. Universal Music Group, who licensed lots of music to the TikTok platform, uh, including Taylor Swift that we've been talking about, Murder on the Dance Floor, which has been in Saltburn recently, Coldplay and others. They're a huge licensor and, and record label. Have had a deal with TikTok for a long time where they're able to make you... Creators are able to make use of Universal Music Group things within the app and TikTok pays them a certain amount of money to do so. Anyway, this is a slightly out-of-date article at this point where TikTok put forward well unacceptable licensing terms to Universal and Universal have gone, no, done. And apparently this has now happened. There is no music now in TikTok for these things. So people will presumably be facing takedown notices if anything sort of violating videos or anything. But this is kind of going to go and affect the platform. But I think this is a really interesting clash between old media and new media, with old media 
initially trying to do the right thing by seeking licensing and getting money out of them and all the rest of it and trying to come up with something equitable and the new media platform going well no we've made your brand more valuable because it's featured by so many million tiktokers it's just quite a fascinating story it is an interesting story and I think it's fair to say most music companies have struggled, haven't they, to to get with it. They struggled in the downloading era. They probably struggled in the streaming era and now they're struggling in the social media piece. So I'm not surprised by this at all. I must confess I've never used TikTok, so it's, it's all a bit foreign to me, quite literally. Yeah, my children love it to bits. They get a lot of things on TikTok, often their first source for when they're going to try and find out about a new cream or they look for something on the internet, they'll go to TikTok rather than a search engine. It just It's an age thing, isn't it? It's just that's the world they were brought up on. You've obviously got the YouTube generation as well. And then for me, I just go to a search engine, but maybe I just haven't moved with the times. Fascinating and well worth a read of the article from The Guardian as well, I think. Agreed. Should we move on to Masters of the Air as we're in media? Yeah, Masters of the Air. So I've now watched two of them. Have you watched two of them or three of them? Just two. I wasn't feeling overly compelled to watch the third. I'm not sure I'm going to go any further with it. Now, that's really interesting because that was our sort of consensus. I haven't watched the first one. I've watched the second one. I don't feel an awful lot better about it. But I've linked in the show notes to uh, an article from Ars Technica from one of the journalists there. who pretty much feels the same. And... This seems to be the consensus that it's worthy and looks okay. It was interesting to see somebody agreeing with me about the taxiing rather than the flight scenes. But it's really not hit well. I think if you had an era where we had not loads of great stuff to watch, it would be okay. It is okay. But there's so much good stuff out there and we're going to come on to something I started watching today actually. But we don't need filler content. We're not in that world. Filler content would have been great 10 years ago when there just wasn't as much what we have now. So it's not for me. I'm sorry. I just, I think there's so much better things to go and watch. I don't disagree. It's disappointing given the pedigree of this, how into Band of Brothers people were in the Pacific, but it's really not come home well. And reading the comments in the Ars Technica article, our feeling about this seems to be the universal feeling. Yeah, it just, it hasn't been done in a compelling way, I think, that makes you want to itch to watch the next one if you know what I mean like I really want to watch the next one so sadly not and I actually went back and rewatched a bit of Ted Lasso over the weekend because I just had an itch to do it and that was when that came out just a really compelling TV show and I'm probably on my third or fourth watch of the entire set because to me that was quite compelling and I like to watch things that I enjoy repeatedly whereas Master Air I should be compelled to watch it but I'm, I'm not so no I think I've done two I've tried it I'm not going to stick with it. And I don't hear anybody else going, no, 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 you need to stay because the third one's the one where it really comes together. I'm not feeling it. Well, I, I am going to try the third one and that might be the point I get out on. Speaking of things I probably should have got out on, Criminal Record, also on Apple TV, I'm now through five of the six episodes that will be released. And it's just so bleh. It's, and I think I touched on this last week. It's such a shame because I really like the leads. I like Pierre Cavaldi. I like Kush Jumbo. I like some of the musical choices in it. I think it looks very good. I like a lot of the supporting actors. It's just boring. Really boring. Yeah, on your view, I'm not even going to bother. I wanted to like it, but you, you, you've you said it's not even worth the effort, so I'm not going to go for it. No, don't. Save your time. 
Something else that I've sort of ploughed through a little bit in its second season is Reacher on Amazon Prime. I thoroughly enjoyed the first season. I love the Lee Child books. I like Alan Richardson as as sort of lead for Reacher. He's probably a bit too wide. He's certainly tall enough to be Reacher, but I've enjoyed it. Dipped a bit in the middle. Stuck the landing a little bit, though. So season two of Reacher, quite watchable television. Not must-see television. Certainly a damn sight better than Criminal Record and Masters of the Air based on what's going on. I'd happily watch a third season. But yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Okay, I feel like I should have read the books for Reacher. I'm gut- I've not really got into a Lee Child series, so maybe I need to go and read some of the books and then go and watch this. I think it's totally your thing. It's not Slow Horses. It's not high art. Not that Slow Horses is either, but it's they're well written. Their page turners are compelling. They're they're they sort of serve a, a vein a bit like Tom Clancy did. I think you know about th- twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, where that sort of readable techno thriller thing was in fashion at that point. I think Lee Child has been in the last sort of fifteen years or so. Yeah, I just love a good book to escape to. I've read loads of books this year already. And they are, they're not deep, but they are page turners. And this is similar, you know, it's its not deep, it's not going to change the world, but it's very watchable, charismatic stars, the guy is built. Yeah, worth a watch. Okay, and what is The Great? So The Great is something I've come a bit late to. It was on Channel 4 a couple of years back and I missed it and I've managed to pick it up and, and watch it now. And it's the story of Catherine the Great, and her sort of marriage from being an, an Austrian noblewoman into the Russian royal family back in, well, I guess the 18, tail end of the 1700s, 1800s. I've watched two episodes of it so far. It stars Nicholas Holt and Elle Fanning, and it is terrific. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a modern take on uh, a costume drama, but featuring sort of the historical and the madness that went along in the Russian court at that time. I really think it's worth a little bit of your time to watch it. Don't watch it with your children. Uh, but to show the the madness of what was occurring. And all I can say about it is huzzah, which is when you come and watch it as a reference, it will make sense. Are you watching it? Because in seasons two and three, Jason Isaac is in it. Isaac, sorry. I didn't know that, but that's made it even more compelling for me. So now you're committed. And uh, in season two, apparently Gillian Anderson makes an appearance too. Uh, The two leads of this, Nicholas Hall and Elle Fanning, are terrific. I mean, they're so watchable. They're so charismatic. The supporting cast really stands up. It is really... It, it, it's not a period of history I know an awful lot about or knew very much about the characters. But I can see why there are, there's a third season because just based on the first two that I've watched, I'm in, I'm sold. I think it's great. Fair play. Okay, that, that one sounds like it's got more of a chance with me than anything else we've discussed. And just to finish on, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, also on Amazon Prime, vaguely based on the Brad Pitt movie of a few years ago where they were both spies that I don't even remember. It's so forgettable. But what caught my attention about this is it's Donald Glover in the lead role, and I absolutely love Donald Glover. He was terrific in Community. He's an amazing rapper. He's quite a talent. Uh, and this has had tremendous reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And in other places, I haven't seen anything negative about it yet. Everybody says it's great. So I intend to watch this. I haven't started yet. I just wanted to point it out. Okay, so I have watched the Brad Pitt film years and years ago. So Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were the leads. They were married. They were called Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They worked for a rival sniping assassination agencies, and it, you know, they basically had a. They were basically targeted to kill each other. I don't know what this is like, but I have started watching it. I'm halfway through the first episode, and it's fantastic. And if I'm going to spend some of my time, I'm going to try this. I had it recommended to me. Annoyingly, the person who recommended it to me ruined the plot of the first episode, which really annoyed me um, because I know exactly roughly what's going to happen. But actually, the premise of it is really interesting. I'm not going to say much more than that, but it, it starts off very strong, amazing opening, 
and you're kind of hooked to that point and then it, they do you know what they get the story together really quickly like the whole premise i'm only 30 minutes but the whole premise of what's going on comes together quite quick and i thought it was quite cool so they established characters quickly um it looks great it's really well shot and donald glover i don't really know him as an actor but he's really good in it and so is the leading lady so 100 would recommend at least watching the first half hour really enjoyed it and when we finish this podcast i'm gonna go and finish watching it well i'm gonna start watching it, i think i'm gonna balance it in the great now i've done my reacher incredible records almost out of the way and i'm not gonna i don't think i'm gonna waste much more of my time on, on masters of the air i've obviously got a bit of time and i haven't been playing games so that's the thought one thing I'm going to raise, though, is as I logged into Amazon Prime to watch Mr. and Mrs. Smith on my Apple TV, it popped up and would you like to pay us £2.99 in the UK per month to remove ads? I was like, maybe later, clicked on Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and it's a great time for them to launch their ad service because immediately I get like a 30, 40 second advert that I have to watch and before I can go on to the next thing. So that did anger me a little bit. So I do wonder if there's enough content on Prime would it make me pay to remove the ads? I don't know the answer today, but it will certainly, I don't know. This could be revenue generating for them because their ads are long and annoying. I got two thoughts about that. Streaming services are becoming TV networks by forcing advertising on you as well as paying for them, particularly cable TV. And this is just going to drive people back to piracy, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've had the heyday of cable cutters where you know you get rid of your cable you have great streaming services you can download some content and now we're going back to in essence cable by having all the blooming adverts um i want to just pay you some money and not have adverts i don't want to pay you some money and have adverts that doesn't seem right and i don't want you to introduce more tiers netflix is about 20 pounds a month here in the uk i will be cancelling it as soon as drive to survive is over which premieres on the 23rd of feb just ahead of the season for anybody out there Blue Eye Samurai before you go. Should we move on to games? Let's go to games. I've got not a lot to report other than Gran Turismo. He's awesome. You can get Suzuki Jimli. I think I might mention that last week. <laughs> you mentioned that last week. So I, I don't have a lot to say. I've been watching TV rather than playing games, apart from a little bit of Call of Duty, which I won't go into and bore everybody with. But I did just want to point out, we've occasionally talked about things being delisted from uh, PlayStation because uh, rights have expired and you know, Discovery Channel, I think, was most recently, although they managed to pull that back a little bit. But this is a game, Spec Ops The Line, has been permanently removed from Steam steam because of its licensing of some music tracks within it i have the game on steam i haven't gone back to look to see if a thing it's a very pertinent game because it features a it's a first person shooter where you start to go mad because of all the killing and death and you know the governmental stuff that, that's actually happening that you're taking part in so it actually sort of features some sort of repercussions for the way you play the game and not a realistic way it's a computer game but i quite like the fact of bringing that in and with all the stuff going on in the middle east at the moment which is just horrendous i think things like this which are more social commentary as much as games are really important so i think it's very bad timing i think it's a real shame that this is another clash of new and old media where these things expire and important titles that and bits of history can go away quite arbitrarily so i don't like that very much yes yeah, so does it go away because you you've already bought it or is it just got away for new people i think it's gone away for new people but that's why i mean i'm gonna to have to log in and check i'm not gonna fire up my steam account while i'm sat here to see if i can download it again but it's apparently still an xbox and playstation but that may not last either right okay that's all i got for games yeah not a lot in my house i've been reading a lot of books but we don't really talk about books on this podcast so sadly that's absorbed my time should we get move on to the main show Let's move on to the main show. Do you want to give us an inclination into Apple's quarterly results then? Apple made all the money. 
<laughs> What's that? One line summary. <laughs> Look, they've had a great quarter. It's insane how good their quarter was. So this is the, obviously the holiday quarter. And it's, their, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's their first quarter. And they've done £119 billion, which is just a huge amount of money. And then you look and go, well, how does that compare to a year ago? Because you really need to compare this quarter with a year ago. There's no point comparing the, the holiday quarter to the one just before it. And they're up £2 billion upon the previous year, which blew my mind a little bit because I was thinking, well, what did they release last year? You know, the watches, nothing major, no iPads. Um, they did release a bunch of MacBook Pros, the, both the M2 generation and the, and the M3, but not really that much different if you'd already had the, the ones, uh, the M1s, that is. And then obviously it was the iPhones, as we, we all know, you, you and I both, did splurge a little bit of money on iPhones, various AirPods, and obviously a bunch of series, but nothing major in the hardware piece at all. So quite interesting that they're up two billion quid on that last quarter. Yeah, they are. I mean, normally we go into this with a lot more detail, and I think we'll just sort of skip by the peripheries today. In general, it's good. It's a better quarter than the market was expecting, which meant the shares tanked slightly, as is always the case, because when, when you beat your earnings, that's bad, apparently. Quarterly shares by revenue, the iPhone makes up 58% shares of sales, wearables 10%, services 19%, Mac 7%, iPad 6%. iPad Mac, sorry, Mac revenue is up slightly on what it was in the last quarter, and I think up slightly on what it was in, in, in the year-on-year increase as well. Fairly flat in general, though it's only about a 6-7% change. iPad revenue is down, well down on where it's meant to be though, uh, and that I think people have been attributing, it's 25% down on what it was before. People are attributing that to a lack of iPads. I question that. I think it's stagnation in the overall iPad ecosystem more than just the iPad themselves. Yeah, I think you've got two things here. So Macs are down. They had a bumper year when the M1 came out, and that's the problem. And the M1 was so good, nobody's really compelled to upgrade. So I think the Macs will be particularly cool, and you generally do buy a Mac for a longer period. But the iPad is down notably. And look, I am a big iPad fan, as we know, because I use it every day for my work. But even I'm thinking, do I really want to splurge two grand on an OLED iPad later this year? I haven't even seen the specs, but part of me thinking, I'm not sure there's much need to do it. I mean, I could be wrong, and I may insta-buy it when it gets announced. But they released no new real iPad hardware last year other than this pencil the ipad lineup is so bizarre that i think people are confused even if they were looking for an ipad there's a lot of sales on for ipads at the moment i don't know if this is just inventory trying to be cleared out i saw it in john lewis and on amazon here in the uk so i think there's just not a compelling reason and i think a lot of people are struggling to find where does the ipad fit in their life now for me i've made it fit it is my work device. I don't have a work, work laptop. I just use my iPad. But not many people like that. If I didn't work where I did and I just used my Mac, would I have an iPad as well? I don't know the answer to that question. So I think the iPad is struggling. Is there a world maybe that they've actually taken all the all, all the software engineering out of the iPad and put it into the Vision Pro in the, and they make the Mac a touchscreen and the iPad just flitters away? That could happen now. They've got the same architecture. Could we have a touchscreen Mac? Maybe. Or are they going to make the iPad as a category work? I mean, it's still a seven billion pound a quarter or dollar, you know, per quarter business. So it's not a small business. But in Apple's turn, you know, could they be using that expertise somewhere else? I don't know. But it is disappointing. Super curious. What's this going to look like? Say, come March, assuming we get 
the iPad lineup refreshed. There is talk that it's going to be nearly all the iPad lineup getting sorted out. So are we going to get new pros and airs? And suddenly they're going to reignite the iPad or actually have they ruined the iPad lineup because they're just not, you know, moving the software on quick enough. The hardware's become a little stagnated since the 2018 iPad. Hasn't really changed much. I didn't buy the last one because it was just no need. It didn't really move 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 the needle. So it's going to be curious to see what they do bring out. Is it going to move the needle in a meaningful way? You know, are they going to put another port on the side? But actually, is it too late now? Because most people have got used to just having the one port and actually we've got used to the shortcomings of it. Yeah, it's not a compelling this will be a surprise no one the same way you're an advocate for the ipad i'm 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 slightly negative about the ipad i don't see the benefit of having such amazing chips in it i don't see the point in having an m1 or m2 in it when as you said a minute ago the 2018 ipad pro was probably as a perfection of that form factor hardware wise yeah it could use another port yeah it could use a little bit more but fundamentally it's doing enough stuff with a pencil you can snap on a keyboard you can type on it you know that's all fine software holds that device back Sticking three or four more ports on it won't make any difference. You need to give people the ability to move their windows around. You can do it with the Vision Pro. It's more or less running the same sort of thing. And two, almost £2,000 for that device, and we know the keyboards fail fairly rapidly as well, is more than half of an iPad Pro, uh, a Vision Pro. So where would you spend your money? You know, save another year, save another two years, save another three years, get a Vision Pro, which is the new hotness where Apple's attention is. Or get a Mac for an awful lot cheaper. You know, you could probably buy... I, I don't know, all of Apple's lineup or a Vision Pro <laughs> or be a bit more judicious with it and actually get where their attention is, which is the Mac at the moment, the iPhone and the Apple Vision Pro. Yeah, I'm sadly not seeing it. And it's probably the first time an iPad, well, the second time an iPad's going to come out and I'm not going to want it, potentially, because I'm well, really happy what I've got, which is a testament to what I do have. It does what I want. But I want, you know, it's odd for me because I always want the next thing. Um, and I'm not seeing it, sadly, with the iPad. Well, as you say, let's wait for WWDC before we say the iPad's a dead product. But let's face it, the kind of people that use it, schools, older people, you know, people who make it fit into their environment, those people are embedded in it. They want that to happen, I think. But the M1 onwards, Macs, have been so good that it's a really difficult sell, I think, an iPad. So, And the numbers reflect that. Moving quickly on, the iPhone is up. Unsurprisingly, new model, slightly new shape. I think the 15 has been a success, whereas the 14 was less so. There are some reports that the batteries aren't quite as good, and I think I feel that a little bit. I don't think my 15 Pro's battery is quite as good as my 13 Pro was, Pro Max. That's maybe something going to be fixed in software as well. Services are up a little bit, maybe not up as up as, as we, we thought they would have been, but no big deal there. And wearables are down 11% year on year, so that's not quite so great. But overall, Apple profits up 2% on where they were a year ago. Yeah, I think it's worrying that the iPhone is a bigger proportion of their revenue at the moment. You know, it's not not shrinking ways. Surely what they want to do is have the iPad, the Mac, wearables and service all slowly growing as the company grows and the iPhone, they're not so reliant on it, but it doesn't feel like the iPhone's going anywhere. I do think the 15 has been a big success. Interesting you mentioned battery. I looked at mine last time. I was like, I've barely used my phone today. Why is, why is there not a lot of battery left? So I've even gone into the battery meter to explore it and it's like, well, there's not really anything in here. So why is it dropping so badly? And I'm not running any beaters. Um, so don't disagree with you there. No, it's interesting results, I think, on the whole, but I think pretty much what you'd expect. Average Apple had an average year last year. Everything just iterated on. There was no nothing major. So I think 24, though, potentially is lined up to be an exciting year if we're going to have M3 everywhere. 
we're going to have Vision Pro, hopefully in more countries, lots of iPads. So, yeah, this year is going to be interesting, I think. I think it could be very different to last year from revenue and product releases. I agree. Although, I think Apple need to be a little bit careful with the phone. So, our last links in the show notes are to the Samsung S24 Ultra, which has been astoundingly well received i think by the press and i i, I you're looking puzzled chris i've still I've, I've neglected to put a couple of the links into the reviews and i'll make sure that they're there the link that is there at the moment talks about its scratch resistance but mkbhd mr who's the boss and others are all absolutely astounded at how much better the s24 is than the s23 how good the screen is how good the battery life is how appropriately customizable it is they like the new design it's titanium. I don't know where Samsung got the idea to use titanium rather than what they were using before. You know, the cameras are better. Everything about the device is better than it was before. And then the AI things that have been built into it, which we did talk to, touch on a couple of weeks ago, are quite thoughtful and well done. And I'm seeing people who'd moved to the iPhone, you know, three, four years ago, big influencers, now moving back to Samsung as a consequence of this phone. And that's pretty shortly after the iPhone 15 Pro Pro models have come out. So I find that quite interesting that you talk about the needle moving. That feels like a bit of a swing to me. If you've got the influencers who for the last few years have been going, iPhone best camera, iPhone best battery life, iPhone this, iPhone that. And now all the reviews about the S24 Ultra are kind of shoving it that way. That combined with foldables and some other sort of innovative things that Samsung are doing. And then the icing on the cake, seven years of OS updates. Now, even Apple don't promise seven years of OS updates. That's quite a value proposition for people. Yeah, I I don't disagree with anything you said. It does look a great device. For me, it'd be hard to get out of the Apple ecosystem. Will it happen? Quite possibly. Um, And it does look, the the phone you're talking about looks amazing. And I've seen some in the office, like you've got the folding phone. You've got this S24 that looks very good. Samsung have just casually kept iterating in the background and they've done some fantastic devices and they're also doing it with the software you mentioned the ai features and but apple need this don't they they need a strong competitor otherwise they get stagnant and lazy so um, i'm really pleased that the s24 is really good and i want to see what apple will do to you know as as their rival to it because the iphone hasn't changed much since we really got rid of the home button which was fantastic design it's iterated year on year but not in big meaningful ways i don't think it's largely the same i I 100 agree and we've said a few times on this show that what makes apple good is competition and there's no competition for them in the ipad space it's falling apart this you know they they may not have decent competition in the visual in the ar vr space but at least they've got a little bit samsung are really taking it to them with this device and if you watch like jerry rig everything who we were talking about when the 15 came along did his bend test and it broke the iphone 15 pro max broke he, and then he had his hardness test with his various blades and things to scratch the screen. This phone is amazingly durable from the screen. It's amazingly bend resistant from what he did to it. And then they've even done thoughtful things like it's the least reflective screen that reviewers have seen in a very long time. I don't know about you, but I get crazy reflections on my iPhone 15. So little features like that baked in with software. I'm with you. Leaving the Apple, Apple ecosystem would be hard. But I think in light of everything we've seen over the last well, the last 10 years probably, you know, the increasing height to the walls, the changes we're seeing with the DMA and all the rest of it, we do need to realistically consider that there are alternatives and you need to keep an eye on this market in the hope that A, Apple will improve the devices that are selling and the software that's on them. But B, 
they'll they'll move along with the times and feel read the room, you know, of their developers and their users and their most enthusiastic advocates, of which you and I, between us, have bought large numbers of Apple products, but have probably sold large numbers of Apple products. And we're pretty minor on the scale of things. People like MKBHD, people like Mr. Who's the Boss, Jerry Rig, everything. People watch those reviews and they go and buy devices. They make purchasing decisions based on these things. Apple should pay attention. Yeah, I agree. And Apple famously sometimes don't read the room and don't pay attention. So it is going to be interesting to see what they come back with with the 16. You know, am I going to upgrade from the 15? Who knows? But um, I hope there's a compelling reason too, because I do like my tech and I am worried everything's getting a bit stagnant. So I think it's going to be a super interesting year to see how they combat, like I say, the iPad piece we've discussed, some of the Mac pieces they're doing and everything else. So yeah, I think let's keep, maybe it's for our year in review you know did it pan out to how we thought yeah i think so have we got anything else for main show or is that going to do us for that no i think we're done over to you for app of the week right so i'm going to give an app of the week but i'm also going to just give a, a website that i think is really cool as well i talked about it in the main show feed <laughs> if you did want to see sort of that tapestry inspired well it was out before tapestry to be fair the kickstarter project we were talking about before so there's a link to that in the show notes and it's quite an interesting app and worth a look but what i really wanted to talk about was this website called notable people i'm a sucker for a good visualization i like a bit of graphic you know data driven design that looks fantastic and this i just think is an amazing thing that will highlight local people who are famous either because they're famous artists or notable for culture they were leaders you know they were great sports people or, or whatever and this is a map of the world an interactive map of the world google earth sort of style where you can zoom right into quite a fine-grained level and see who comes from where and what country and I just think it's fantastic to be able to scroll around the planet and see, you know, the biggest name in South Africa, for example, is Nelson Mandela. But unsurprisingly, if you start scrolling in there, though, you find J.R.R. Tolkien, not a million miles away in, in Zimbabwe, you know. All these there's various sports people, Winnie Mandela, you know, all, the, all these people. And if, for the UK, for example, if I scroll into, you know, where I, where I am now in Swansea, the biggest name is Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> but of course Which I think, which, which of, of course it is, but not a million miles away from that. You've got Richard Burton, Anthony Hopkins, you know, lots and lots of famous people, actors, artists, writers, poets. They're all on here. And it, just a, sort of an inspiration for who comes from where you're from or where you're going to or, you know, the surprise you'll find that T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, actually came from North Wales, which I didn't know. You know, little things like that are just fantastic to see. I was slightly aggrieved to find out that Gerard Butler was just as big for Glasgow, you know, as, as as William Wallace, but, you know, I'll let that go. That is interesting. I've forgotten about Gerard Butler. Um, did you know Jeremy Irons is from the um, Isle of Wight? I did know Jeremy Irons, but only because of this app. So that's what I mean, is this app is really quite impressive, I think, to find out where people come from. I think it's fascinating to look for less populated parts of the world, like if you zoom in on Russia or bits of Canada and you see there's nobody there, but there's a reason nobody there, because there's no big towns. But And then you look at the density of people from a country like Spain and all the famous artists and explorers and leaders that they've produced. It, it's just a fascinating little uh, visualization, and I hope you like it. It's fantastic. It's so well done, and it's very simple. I kind of wish they could show place names as well, but um, is there an you option? You can. There's an option in the selections up at the top. Oh, if yes. you tick show real place names, it will give you that too. I know, but I kind of want to see names and place names. It would be quite a busy map, so I quite like the sort of the functionality to do both. 
Yeah, I guess so. But no, it's it's really good and just a great visualization of of people's birthplaces. So yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Thing of the week. Uh, thing of the week for me is Lego announced a new McLaren F1 car, the old Senna model. You will even know this because it's the red and white one from oh, probably early late late 80s, early 90s, uh, and it's £69 here in the UK, and I am definitely in for one of these at some point when it comes out. So I just thought I'd include that because I think that looks cool, and I think that will look nice in my shed, and it's very classic. It's the Etten Senna one, very classic Formula 1 car. They've taken the cigarette logos off. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they have. I'd forgotten about that, actually. <laughs> but um, I saw it look cool. And they've also announced some other F1 Lego stuff that you can get the Mercedes miniature one, you can get a McLaren miniature one coming, all on the 1st of March. And there's also a big Mercedes one, which might look quite nice on my wall next to my McLaren, which is a bit out of picture at the moment. So, uh, yeah, that made me happy. Some Lego and some Formula 1, always good for me. I like the fact they've got Senna's helmet with the correct colours on and the little sort of Senna with a gold cup. When they release a uh, MotoGP one, let me know. I'm interested. It may not come across my periphery, but if I'd see it, you'll be the first to know. I will purchase that. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yeah, agreed. I think we're there. Thank you to everybody for listening. Um, if you want to get in contact, Rod is at G5Maniac at Mastodon.scot. I'm at underscore CJP at Mastodon.social. You can watch us on YouTube now or listen to us on YouTube. And you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Mm-hmm.